When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. Hi, and welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm your host, Tom Bourne, and with me today is the marvellous Craig Salter. Craig, how are you? I'm doing really well, Tom. Thanks for asking. Ah, oh, Craig, you've had an interesting career, not the conventional career that most people would venture yeah. down for safety. How did you get into safety? Look, I think my story is probably a bit of a story by chance, to be fair. I, my, my undergrad sort of degree, I was... Studying exercise and sports science, and that sort of landed me a role with the Australian Institute of Support and lecturing at the University of Canberra. And I think it was at that time when I was lecturing, I started to do some work on the side, providing some support with a friend who had run a safety consulting ex-rehab business. And I think that's where I really started to follow my passion. And and from there, sort of the rest is history. I sort of left the, the academic life and the life of the Institute and started sort of in my foray of health and safety. Okay. So you've worked in a number of positions. You've worked as health and safety coordinator, health and safety manager for Coles, consultants, and now you're currently the director of Action Occupational Health and Safety Consulting. Is that keeping you busy? The consulting part, yeah, absolutely. And and with the consulting, obviously, sort of we founded Safety Champion Software. So... So at the moment, sort of working, I guess, across two businesses with a, a team of around 40 employees. So so there's not, not really a, a dull moment. Yeah, 40 employees. That must be hard to manage, I'd suggest. Look, I, I think it's sort of, I think you go through stages. I sort of feel sort of that first sort of up to sort of 10 employees, sort of it's it's a really sort of enjoyable infectious atmosphere where sort of everybody knows everybody as you continue to grow you you need to start building out processes you need to start sort of ensuring that you've got a management team so that they can take sort of some of the load off your shoulders and uh, and lead so I feel from a time perspective sort of my time is probably a little bit more manageable now than it was right at the start 
Um, but that's that's testament to the team that I have around me in both sort of action OHS and safety champion. Yeah, I'd suggest it is kindly vital, important to build that credible team of professionals around you so you can actually, I don't know, manage the bigger picture items rather than the day-to-day operations. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think for us, sort of our people are our business. So sort of back sort of January 2022, so sort of a bit over 12 months now, we bought on a head of people into the business. As, as a business of 20, sort of, or combined 20 at the time, it's probably a, a move that some may feel is a little bit sort of early in the piece, but it really has supported sort of that growth over the last 12 to 15 months. It sort of ensures that our people are, are happy, engaged, sort of, doing meaningful work and and the like. So I think surrounding sort of myself with people like that as as, long, as well as sort of my management team at sort of Safety Champion and my senior consulting team over at Action IHS is, yeah, super important. Yeah. Speaking of which, you, the business has been around for, what, 11 years, 11, 11 a bit yeah. years? Yep. How'd this go? What was the main challenges you faced during COVID, because it's been three years since COVID's come across our lovely shores. Was there many yeah. challenges for the business? Yeah, look, absolutely. I think sort of for all businesses sort of through that COVID time, there was a a need to reshape and sort of rethink sort of your service offerings. As a as a consulting business, sort of leading into COVID or sort of not really leading, I should say, before COVID. And we didn't know COVID was, was going to hit us. A lot of our work would have been larger projects, sort of higher, higher, higher billable engagements. Once we sort of started to navigate the COVID space, sort of those bigger contracts probably dried up and we were doing more work, but smaller projects. So from a consulting side of things, it, it does become a little bit challenging because your administration sort of around sort of scoping out new work, sort of project admin, project deliverables started to grow sort of in comparison to where it was previously. But look, I think at that time sort of everybody sort of was chipping in. So sort of we were really united as a business and I, yeah, I, I can't thank sort of the staff that worked with us over that time for the, I guess, that extra sort of mile that people went to just to ensure that, so we were able to navigate that COVID time without having to reduce hours, without having to lay people off across the business. Yeah, yeah. We're a bit insulated, insulated over and yeah. from the effects of COVID for, for whatever yeah. reason. We won't go there. But And some people liked it and some people didn't. Yeah. But the, the things we saw from Victoria, really interesting. A lot of, lot of emotion there. And was it a scary time for business in Victoria? Oh, from a, like I said, I feel like we were one of the luckier businesses. There's plenty of clients that we that we were working with sort of leading up into the COVID period that haven't sort of been able to navigate the, the COVID journey. I think sort of when you walk down, I, I sort of was living in Richmond, which is sort of close to the city and, and sort of the offices in around sort of the city as well. And, and there are a number of sort of four lease signs showing up along those main streets, sort of those what were bustling business areas. So you can definitely sort of see the the aftermarks. Um, I think sort of personally, I, I sort of, again, that was that was probably sort of a challenge and something we, we looked to embrace as a team by sort of kicking off sort of morning startup meetings so that sort of all our team were able to interact on a daily basis with familiar faces and, and help them sort of 
as a unit to be able to navigate sort of the, the challenges that COVID brought on. Yeah, lots of remote work. Yeah, look, we're, and we're probably, I'd sort of say, a fully remote business at the moment. We're still navigating that pathway. We still have a an office, a, a small office, be that, but the majority of our workforce would typically work from home. And again, sort of having the, the right systems in place and the right people leaders within the business to ensure that people understand what the inherent requirements of their role are and what the objectives of the work they do is, is super important to be able to sort of navigate that space without sort of questioning the work that people are doing and, and, and what's being delivered. Yeah, it sounds like you're the classic example of that most overused term, an agile business able to adapt to the conditions that you're presented with. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, I think so. I think sort of we are, we sort of, whilst we're sort of moving out of startup more into sort of scale-up mode, we, we still adopt that startup mindset, which is which is being flexible and trying to sort of reduce bureaucracy within the business. I think sort of funny, the funny part for me about COVID was that sort of one of our points of difference leading into COVID was the flexibility that we provided our workforce with re- with regards to working from home. And mm-hmm. I mean, as a consulting business, we we compete with the, the top tier brokers, the top tier accounting firms. So having that sort of subtle point of difference sort of leading into COVID sort of provided a bit of a competitive advantage for us around attracting talent and retaining talent. Again, we need to now sort of navigate what that continues to look like moving forward to ensure that sort of we can continue to sort of build on sort of the the workforce that we've created. All right. Action OHS Consulting, what services do you provide? Yeah, so we're we're a, a pretty generalist health and safety consulting business. You'll see our people going into businesses to audit their their systems, whether that's against a standard legislation or providing a gap analysis, trying to sort of help businesses understand where the opportunities may lie. We build management systems for customers. We we undertake a lot of secondment work. That's probably something that has grown legs through COVID is the desire for businesses to have somebody with experience providing guidance, strategic sort of direction as to sort of where their health and safety function sort of is headed. And along with that, sort of the typical sort of probably probably at the moment sort of quite sort of relevant hygiene work. So whether that's dust monitoring, noise monitoring or ergonomic assessments. So yeah, we've got a pretty diverse team, mixed experience, sort of lots of lots of, I guess, uh opportunities for our teams to work together and collaborate to continue to build on sort of their skills that they they bought into the business prior to joining us. Good, good. Now, you're based in lovely Victoria. Yeah. Are you operating solely in Victoria? No. So we we have team based in all states, with the exception of territory at the moment and Tasmania. So that's through a mix of independent contractors as well as employees. We are sort of continuing to build out our employee network across those states. But yeah, we service customers yeah, across, the, across all of Australia at the moment. Yeah. What's that? What's the toughest advice you've ever had to give to a client? Oh, look, I probably, I probably haven't sort of had too many situations where there's tough advice in the in the sense that that we're sort of going sort of toe to toe in sort of verbal slanging matches. But I think sort of as a consulting business, the tough, probably sort of consistent as well is the recognition that sort of good work doesn't mean long sort of lengthy documents mm. that sort of concise articulate whether that's a 
an action plan coming out of an audit that provides the business with clear direction as to what's next or building out sort of policy and procedures that represent the work being done in a really concise format can lead to some tough, tough conversations in the sense, I think sometimes people are of the opinion that sort of when you're spending money, you want a, a net sort of outcome and that might be more pages, more actions, more information. And I think that's something sort of, it's when I sort of say it's recurring, it's, it's a fairly regular sort of conversation we're having with our customers as to, yeah, what we what we believe we do really well. Yeah, speaking of clients and expectations, do clients specifically want measurable outcomes in relation to safety? I think with the work that we do with them, there's definitely measurable deliverables and sort of outcomes with sort of what they engage us for. When we are working with them, we will often sort of work with them on and their sort of leadership team around defining sort of what are their safety indicators, sort of whether that's objectives targets. And that provides me the great opportunity to sort of guide them down that lead-based indicator indicator pathway. But we, yeah, I think like all safety consultants, we're sort of constantly battling with the, the lag indicators, the LTIFRs and so forth. And I'm not sure whether that's a safety problem or, or more of a business problem in the sense that sort of whether it's the contractor engagement sort of systems that are in place will be sort of looking for indicators like that. So that's why it becomes front of mind for our customers, not not because they want it, but they, they need that indicator because mm. it makes good business sense. Yeah, particularly they need it if they're to be eligible to pick up some of the larger contracts perhaps. Yeah, that's it, correct. It's, it's, it's an interesting thought how you actually measure success in safety because, yeah, I'm, I'm yet to see a, re, a reliable way that you can actually measure safety. We look at results, but yeah. are those results actually safety or are they it just the, the pure luck that's, that's occurred over time? I, I don't know. What's your thoughts? Yeah, look, I think when we're looking, when, when when I'd be looking to measure safety, it's not necessarily just limited to the absence of harm, but I think it's it's where activities that we may have historically defined as health and safety activities are, are being done as business as usual activities. I think that's sort of something we, we're also quite passionate about in that sort of simplification space is, is trying to move away from the, the language of we're doing this because it's a safety task mm-hmm. to we're doing this as a as a requirement because it, it makes good business sense. Mm. So I think when you're starting to look at sort of objectives and how do you measure safety, I think when people are are doing it because they understand again the the positive ramifications that it can have from an operational sort of viewpoint, not just limiting it to a we're doing this because it's a, a safety box that we need to check mm. I think you can start to sort of as a business feel like you're, you're heading in the right direction there may be sort of an incident there may be hazards that are reported but again this can be taken as a positive with regards to a a workforce understanding sort of what the desired outcomes or expectations are from the business so you're starting to move obviously into that sort of psychologically safe sort of working environment true true all right changing tack just a little talk to me about safety champion software what does it do and why should i have it 
Yeah, look, safety champion software, the, the easiest way that I try to explain it to people is that we are to safety what my old zero are to accounting. So I think people are quite familiar with the accounting software packages out there and that that's what your accountant uses to to prompt, remind and ensure that they can execute sort of the inherent requirements of their role. And that's what we're really trying to do with Safety Champion. The software, we, we the software was born out of, I guess, necessity at our end. We we were part of a, a program and still are. There's a great program for those of your audience who are based in Victoria with employees less than 60, which is the OHS Essentials program, which sort of sees WorkSafe sort of engage so the consultants who are on their panel, which Action OHS Consulting is, to go into the workplace sort of for, for no charge to the customer to provide service over three occasions, so a two-hour initial, a two-hour middle visit and a two-hour sort of follow-up visit or there and thereabout, and, and build out an action plan effectively. And so that over a 12-month period, the business can start to progress and start to take internal ownership of their safety program. With Safety Champion, what we sort of had recognised was that we were, so this is back 2013-14, we, we felt like we were being pretty clever with regards to how we are using spreadsheets and sort of Word documents and Outlook calendars to try to help businesses prompt them to when sort of safety initiatives or activities would come up or how they could report these hazards through sort of ways that could sort of trigger notifications. But what we would find when we would turn up for the second or the final visit would be that the spreadsheet would be stuffed, the mm. Outlook meeting invite, somebody would have missed it or hit pause so that that would be missed. And sort of all of these good intention that were there by the customer were just being missed by just the work that they were doing. So they were getting caught up in the operational sort of side of the business. So that's what sort of took us down the pathway to start to build out Safety Champion. We wanted to create a platform where businesses could schedule recurring safety tasks do inspections and schedule them as required, report incidents, report hazards, send internal communications, whether that be hazard alerts or induction or pre-qualifications through to contractors, manage chemicals, sort of manage, sort of build out a, a holistic suite of modules that would be firstly sort of at a price point that your small and medium-sized business could be in market. Secondly, that was configurable so that your small and medium-sized business, if they had desires to build a form in a particular way that we we had code-free configuration so they would be able to go in there and contextualise incident hazard report forms, inspections to align with the work that they're doing rather than getting caught with a, a, a system that they didn't have any control of because we wanted to be there for the long haul. So that's how, that was, I guess, the where we got to where we are. We've sort of shifted a little bit. So we, we still service our, our mission is around making safety easier and accessible for all businesses, no matter their expertise. So those small businesses will be still part of our, our optics. And we have built out a, a go free platform so that sort of people can sign up and access Safety Champion at no cost. But we sort of over the last sort of 12 to 18 months, we've probably seen our median customer move sort of out of that small to medium to more that medium, sort of medium large, which is testament to the the evolution of the product and the maturity of the software. And probably evolution to the fact that it's got a good reputation, I'd suggest as well. Yeah. And I think it's like anything in this space, right? When you've got sort of more people using it, you've got more advocates out there being able to positively comment on sort of their experience with the system. And I think people like to to hear from people who have 
positive experience as opposed to salespeople telling them why they should buy. So it's definitely something so that we continue to harness. Easy to use? Yeah, look, it's, yeah, obviously sort of from my side of things, bit, sticking to our, our, our mission around making safety easy accessible to all people, no matter their expertise, we, we place a real focus on that UI UX. We've built out sort of apps that are pretty big buttons saying, if you want to report an incident, click here, report a hazard, click here. So we don't typically have concerns from a, from customers who are lost in the system, not able to know what they want to access or, or where they can access information. Oh, that's good. And after sale, continued service? Yeah, so with regards to that team there, so there's a sales and marketing team that's sort of pretty much sort of front end, sort of managing prospects until they um, sign up into the system. Marketing obviously continues with product marketing to our customers, but that's where it's a, there's a change from sales to customer success. So we'll run businesses through an implementation sort of period where we'll we'll help them configure the system and provide them with guidance, along with obviously the associated manuals and, and videos and tutorials. And then we have sort of obviously ongoing account management and account support when customers get stuck. Or quite typically from a safety side of things, when there's been a change in personnel, if somebody's got a four-week leave period, they hand their resignation in, the business then goes into recruitment mode and the new person starts maybe eight weeks later. So there's not necessarily that handover. So we've had to be quite creative in how do we onboard those people who haven't been onboarded by the original stakeholder. So it's seen this launch sort of a number of a number of different training materials. So currently we're running boot champs, which sort of is a bit of a play on play on the champ word rather than boot camps, but uh, we'll run sort of sort of free sessions for any of our users to attend to understand the system and, and provide them with a holistic overview to help them start moving in the right direction. Good, good, good. All right. Regulators around Australia have been particularly active in probably the last two months. Pursuing in I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Industrial manslaughter. Hmm. Yeah. What's your thoughts on industrial manslaughter? Look, I think I've, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and some of the other guests that you've had sort of on previously. And I think sort of my views sort of probably align with those that sort of have been have made comment on it beforehand. I think from an industrial manslaughter sort of perspective, it, it hasn't really changed or introduced anything sort of new into the the ecosystem. I think it they're obviously in Victoria, sort of 
probably going on two years ago when it was, might be two and a half years ago when it was rolled out here, there was a little bit of hysteria at the time and sort of senior management wanting to sort of really understand sort of what it meant, which I which I applaud. It sort of quietened down a fair bit since, since then, which is no different to sort of the reactions that we, we had sort of when we were working with customers at the time of harmonisation sort of along the East Coast. So I think if there's media, a media focus on it, sort of it does create sort of uh, engagement from sort of the C-suite. I think if it sort of helps them sort of recognise and understand their role and their involvement sort of with safety across the business, then I think there's a positive, but I, I don't sort of see it fundamentally sort of changing sort of the way businesses operate sort of if industrial manslaughter is in or, or is it in. Yeah. My, my, my current concern with it at the moment is I'm wondering if it's almost being pushed politically more than based on evidence and fact we recently had a a case permanently held in victoria about those police officers that were hit which you know i won't comment on but it yeah it seems like where there was a rush to put the charge on but we never came up with the evidence yeah we've had in in Northern Territory, we've had the similar situation. We'll put industrial manslaughter about this case and then they've had to withdraw it because, again, yeah. they don't have the evidence to support the charges. Yeah. And look, I think the challenge with, with legislation sort of, sort of like industrial manslaughter is it doesn't necessarily focus on all businesses out there. I think it's very much, and I don't know, it's, I don't believe it's targeted, but it's not, it's, it's legislation that's only going to impact small and medium-sized businesses that are out there. I can't see sort of the, the C-suite at sort of an ASX-listed business being sort of pursued sort of down an industrial manslaughter pathway. So, I mean, if it, if, it, if it continues to keep those people engaged, again, I don't know if it's the, I don't know if it's the, the prosecution that would do it or a prosecution that would sort of cause engagement, but I, I think it's just their awareness that they've got a role and not really sure what that role is. I think there can be some benefits to them actively, sort of proactively looking to ensure that the work that they they undertake is is as safe as, as reasonably practical. Yeah, yeah. All right, lovely Victoria. Only state left having occupational yeah. health and safety legislation. Okay. Are we ever likely to see uh, Victorian friends come over to the the light or the dark side, whichever you want to say it, and adopt harmonised legislation as their own? What's, yeah, what's your look, opinion? Look, yeah, look, I obviously don't have any any connections or any sort of insight except for my own, but I, I sort of feel that as time sort of continues and as sort of within sort of states we start to deviate away, deviate away from that sort of fundamental sort of one one sort of piece of legislation, I see it being sort of less likely. I sort of know when sort of I was attending forums at the time of harmonisation sort of taking place, there was very, very much sort of the attitude that sort of the legislation that we have in Victoria sort of was largely the framework sort of how sort of the harmonised legislation was enacted. So... I sort of say I think sort of there's still a level of support from sort of probably that sort of cohort 
like I said, as as we sort of continue to continue to be and as the legislation continues to sort of separate out sort of across those harmonised states. And again, I think sort of in one of your earlier episodes, sort of there was the, the conversation about sort of there being no real discernible difference in sort of fatality rates sort of when you look at sort of Western Australia and Victoria versus the other states. I think sort of all those types of things start to sort of add weight and, again, I think it's probably more of a political sort of piece if there was going to be a change. I think sort of there's, at, at the moment, there's obviously a lot of challenges within the economy, I think, sort of mm. trying to change a piece of legislation sort of like that just course. There would need to be sort of a real a real difference for that change occurring to sort of, I guess, sort of see that support from industry associations and groups sort of based on the cost potentially of that change to businesses to adjust or or change their systems and again it's going to be those smaller businesses that are impacted the Mm. the national companies are going to have adopted the the best and worst of sort of the best the best of sort of what was occurring across both or all legislations it's those smaller sort of businesses who might be predominantly only based in victoria where the real impact and change would be felt if if we were to change the legislation even if it was only a, a subtle change in spaces yeah a common theme when I teach people is, I can tell you now, people from well, born overseas, shall we say, cannot believe that we have different laws for different states. But alternatively, people from Australian states born in Australia tell me that there should be local differences based on local needs. And so it's it, it's yeah. six or one, half a dozen, another Look, I think with the legislation sort of being that sort of philosophically around sort of self-regulation and you as a business understanding sort of the impact of the work that you're doing and how you could hurt somebody and then you, you're looking to resolve and manage that, I think so philosophically sort of our legislation is consistent. So it's obviously a, a different title on the on the document and maybe some different dates that sort of end, but sort of what the, the intention that sits behind it is consistent. So, yeah, I, I understand sort of people maybe being challenged by sort of the, the variations, but I, I feel sort of for the, the large part of businesses out there and clients that we deal with, again, it's the, it's the approach sort of to how you sort of execute your duties that's, that's the important part. And sort of philosophically, we're sort of fairly similar. And I think we use codes of practice that are somewhat interchangeably sort of between sort of states to to support that yeah all right psychosocial hazards are we ever likely to eliminate them from the workplace or is it simply a matter of controlling them like every other hazard yeah look i i mean my my approach is always or has has more regular more recently been sort of to treat it treat it like sort of all other hazards I think, I think we've come a fair way from where we were when I first came into the safety space. I think there's greater awareness and understanding. There's better conversations happening. There's systems in place. But I feel, yeah, it will be sort of something sort of like every other hazard sort of that we are sort of managing. So people are always going to be sort of uh, involved in work. And sort of where, where you've got people involved, there's going to be sort of the the opportunity for psychosocial hazards to present 
Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, it's only in a business where there's no people will you not have psychosocial hazards because people yeah. clash. People have different personalities. People have different beliefs and value systems. So it's 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 likely to happen, but yeah. it's how we manage it that makes a difference. And I think there's that awareness that that extends sort of past that, like whether it's that harassment, bullying, to it's we're looking at work design, we're working at workload, we're working at fatigue. There's all these other elements that I think sort of, um, again, even if you've got a great culture across the workplace, there are these other little sort of bits that that you need to be aware of. I think every every business out there has an opportunity from a psychosocial sort of risk management piece to to reflect on what they're doing and, and how that can be enhanced. Yeah. You mentioned the word culture. I'm curious, I'm curious. Lots of people have different interpretations on safety culture. What's yours? I think for me sort of when I'm thinking what what I would perceive as a positive safety culture. I'm again. I, I'm looking. So I'm going back to where I was sort of talking beforehand about sort of safety being part of the way that we work. Again, does that mean that there's there is or there isn't? Sort of, oh, I'm not sure. I haven't sort of probably given it the the deep thought that maybe it, it requires. But I I sort of feel that those businesses out there sort of that are explicitly trying to drive cultural change. Again, if they're if they're focusing sort of particularly on sort of tasks and and sort of metrics that that there might there, there's something potentially missing. I sort of feel from a cultural perspective, it's just an, an innate way of being and sort of the, the climate of the workplace. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that's probably where I sit sort of in that space. Good. All right, as a safety professional. What's the greatest challenge you faced? Look, probably the, the greatest challenge, I'm probably sort of looking two parts here, sort of when I was in-house. And look, it might sort of also flow through to in the consulting space, but sort of when I was working in-house, it was it was probably very much around that ownership of safety. Again, as an in-house sort of safety professional, I, I feel at times the expectation was that I would be doing the safety and again that sort of sometimes also flows through into the consulting space but I think trying to sort of build that awareness and that understanding that the role of the the safety professional in the business is to is to coach is to to advise is to identify trends and provide recommendations and guidance to how the the system of work can be improved was a was a challenge in sort of a number of the workplaces that I was either in sort of in that internal role or where I have earlier in my consulting life played sort of a role in that secondment space. Okay. Excellent. All right. Now a couple of last couple of questions and then we might finish up today, Craig. All yeah. right. Starting in the sports science. Well, I, I I have great envy because I I, you know, I love I love cricket and I was always yeah. wanting to be good at it but never had the ability never had the ability a bit better than John Howard perhaps but not much. What was it like working with the Institute of Sport and working with fast bowlers, elite fast bowlers? Yeah, look, the AIS was was a it was like my, it was my dream job. It was when I was in high school, sort of looking to work out where my career would go. Um, 
it was something as simple as I was good at sport. I like science. I'll do sports science. When you get into sports science, sort of, I'd always sort of strive for what I felt was what I thought felt was the best pathway forward. And the Institute of Sport was was that in my eyes, sort of working in that space. When I was there, it was it was amazing. The opportunity to work with high performance teams, and that's not only the athletes, but you've got the best of the best from a sports science, sports medicine. You're with people who are sort of cutting edge in the work that they're doing and, and there's great conversations and it's very data-driven sort of everything that that you're doing. And this is sort of back 2000 and I think 2003. Um, you know, I, I love my time there. I think sort of the challenge for me and and, and probably what what got me moving out of sport into the, the, the lecturing piece was just the, the workload around having to... Again, today when we watch the cricket and we use Hawkeye and ball goes down and we can tell if someone's stumped, that type of work would have been a day's worth of work in us looking at sort of 250 hertz cameras, digitising sort of where the ball was going from multiple angles and then lining them up and calibrating them. There was a lot of work to be able to get that final product and I think for me that's where I was challenged a lot of the time. I enjoyed the, the outcome but it was the it was the lab sort of work that really sort of strained me but yeah look working sort of I, I sort of followed the Australian cricket team around for a bit so we'd work with the Australian Institute of Sport bowlers that's been quite good in the sense that sort of a lot of those bowlers sort of came through to sort of represent Australia over the last 15 years so sort of not not necessarily being as involved now as I was then but there was also you'd also be able to look back and reflect on sort of yeah those little changes conversations that you had and, and maybe you you had some form of impact on their journey. Yeah. You must have had a favourite fast bowler you worked with. Who would that be? Oh, look, I did I did my university thesis on Steve Harmison, so I'm not sure if you remember. I remember Steve, Steve the wild yeah. man from England, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was the, he was the one that first first test at the Ashes bowled it to first slip sort of to, to get the series started. But, look, I, I did some work sort of a lot of my 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 thesis was based on sort of how we could look at the inter-bowler variability to sort of try to determine fast bowler speed. So all of the research prior to that had been, we'll get 20 fast bowlers, we'll see what they're doing different, and that's how we'll work at how people bowl fast, where so I wanted to go in with a question as to, well, if we look at that way, sort of anthropometrically, there's a lot of variation between people, so could that be the impact? So if we just look at one person and look at 20 balls that they bowl, Will that give us a, a different indication? And we did get some statistically significant findings around run-up speed, sort of angular momentum of the bowling arm. But yeah, so he, yeah, look, he was he was a favourite. I think sort of look, it's hard to go past Glenn McGrath, sort of mm. reliable, sort of just a, a good human as well. That's probably where where I where I'm positioned. Fantastic. All right, last question. Do a lot of public speaking, and uh, you're member of the Australian Institute of Health and Safety. When you are speaking, what's the topic you like to speak about the most? And don't just say safety because you're not so vague. Look, I, I've probably, probably gone through a couple of different sort of phases in my career, sort of early in the piece when I was sort of not in that tech space. I really love speaking about sort of the simplification of safety and how we can try to, yeah, take away sort of the complexity into whether it's documentations or systems to 
to make things sort of really simple and and trying to sort of look at how we use language. So things like sort of how do we hurt people sort of and then how can we stop people getting hurt sort of really resonates with a lot of the the customers that we would work with. So moving away from identify the hazard and then enter sort of your risk controls, I think they sort of felt like you were sort of doing some science experiment there where if we could try to really bring the language back to the 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 stakeholders, the audience. Um, and then and then sort of more recently, and I was fortunate enough to be able to share the stage with Jay Dickelson from C2T, who's one of our safety champion clients more recently around how technology, so software can improve safety outcomes and and try to guide audiences to sort of some of the pitfalls, some of the things that they should be aware of when looking to go down the tech pathway. And a lot of that's around sort of user system administration, sort of inability to contextualise the system to align with your needs, pricing so that you don't get caught out on a, 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 a contract that might be great year one, but then year two sort of it aligns with market pricing. So you're looking at sort of significant increases. So being able to share sort of some of those stories that I've picked up sort of on my journey, but sort of that also resonate with me today as uh, the founder of Safety Champion. Fantastic. Craig Salter, thank you very much for your help today. I really do appreciate it and I hope that some people learn from it. But for now, that's... Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's all we've got time for, but I do look forward to speaking to you again soon. No worries, Tom. Thank you, and it was a great sort of opportunity. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week.